first fight scene I shot was the one I do with a lightsaber. It's the first time you see Ezra use a lightsaber in the show. It was the first time anyone was going to see me do my own stunts, and I I slipped. And I fell. <laughs> I fell right away. First hard step I took, and it definitely was a moment of everybody being like, whoa, like, can he, can he do this? Greetings, Earthlings, and welcome to the intergalactic gathering of minds known as the Dagobah Dispatch Podcast. And I have good news. Ezra Bridger may have gone missing ever since some space whales sent him off into regions unknown, but we found him and we've got him on this week's show. That's right. Ahsoka star Aman Asfandi will be with us this week talking all things Ezra as we continue our all-star lineup of Ahsoka talent here on the pod, looking back at everything that went down on season one of the Star Wars series. Speaking of which, we have some big news that came out regarding the future of Ahsoka, as well as the future of Star Wars on the big screen. All that and Jawas coming up this week on the Dagobah Dispatch. I am Dalton Ross, here with my better podcasting half, Devin Kogan. What's going on, Devin? Hello, hello. I like that. All that and Jawas. I think I'm going to make that a saying. That's just it. That's going to be a new thing. They just light up every party. Just get some Jawas in there, whatever you're doing. Makes it like 38% better. I think so. Yeah, without without a doubt. Uh, Very excited to hear your chat with Aman Esfandi in a little bit. Uh, Our first time having him on the podcast. So that'll be fun. Yeah, it's super fun. I mean, if you haven't been following him on social media, I highly recommend it. He's been having the time of his life posting incredible behind the scenes videos. And, you know, he's somebody who has really wanted to, you know, be a part of this world for a long time. And I want, for context, Dalton, as we were doing this interview, we did this interview over Zoom. He had just been to Lucasfilm. um, And he did the entire interview with like a fully like life-size Grogu next to him, um, which was just really added to the, the atmosphere which I really appreciated. Do you ever follow people on social media and then want to unfollow them and you're worried that they're going to notice? And I'm not talking about like a celebrity, like necessarily like a modest fun, but maybe there's someone you cross paths at some point or you worked with them and then they left and you're kind of out of touch and you're just like, and they're posting too much and you're just kind of like, eh. I have a few people. And I won't name names. <laughs> name names. All right, Lauren Morgan. I don't want to follow <laughs> Lauren Morgan anymore. I, I, I tried to like hide it. I said someone you used to work with, but no. But do you ever have those people? But then like you just keep following them because you're just worried they're going to notice? Obligation. Yeah. yeah. Oh, I do obligation. that all the time. But I, in that case, I'm a big fan of the mute button. Mm. I have like people from high school who I know would like 100% notice if I unfollowed them. But I'm like, I can't. So I just mute them. And that way, like, it still shows up as me following, but they don't clog up my feed. We had a former co-worker here, uh, someone I worked with, you didn't work with, uh, back in, like, the 1700s of EW, <laughs> where I, he noticed that I unfollowed him, and he called me out on it. And I, <gasps> and I told him, I'm like, dude, you post way too much. Like, it was like a Twitter thing. It's just, like, way too much. And and this is either before or I didn't know about the mute option. Like this is in the earlier days of of the Twitter. And I think he took it pretty well, but I probably shouldn't have said that. That's you know, it's a, it's a right. delicate 
you know, we need like an Emily Post situation. Like what what's the ruling on like, you know, social media um, etiquette because for people you know in real life? Well, you know what? I'd like to hear our listeners weigh in on this topic, Devin, <laughs> and they can do exactly that by calling our voicemail line at 657-799-1566. What are some instances you've had either with uh, unfollowing people or what's your etiquette take on it, on the unfollow or mute? Uh, give us a call at 657-799-1566. You can also, by the way, call us to talk Star Wars. Like, that's the point of it. Like, you could use it for anything. And yeah. <laughs> I sometimes wonder if if we get really mean voicemail messages that Sammy just doesn't tell us about. Like that I Sammy's, do wonder that, that too. Sammy's like, just like protecting us. Sammy, come clean. Have we gotten some mean voicemail messages? No, actually not at all. Wow. Our wow. listeners are so nice. Yeah, I don't know whether it's better to be, you know, hated or ignored. Yeah, no, I think Sammy's protecting our our, our fragile so. egos. <laughs> They're think... all voicemails from me to me. <laughs> yeah, that's just all it. <laughs> it's just Sammy being like, "Don't forget to pick up bread and eggs at the grocery store today." It's, okay, it's, thanks. It's, Bye, it's Sammy. Voice voice memo. <laughs> it's all Sammy and Lauren's husband, Nick. That's true. Uh, <laughs> no, but uh, we, we'd love to hear from you. So you can give us a call at 657-799-1566 uh, about anything Star Wars related, anything that we talk about here on the pod or anything you want to get our take on. Uh, while I'm doing the housekeeping, uh, I'll also say you can connect with us on Spotify if you listen to the podcast there. We always put up a poll each week. Very interesting as I read the results of last week's poll. And, and Sammy's got the more up-to-date results. So Sammy will read those out for us. But I did notice something. So the question was, what was the best Ahsoka moment? Now, who came up with this? Devin, did you come up with this poll? That was me because we had okay. a Rosario, we had yeah. Rosario Dawson on last week, and she talked yeah. about you know some of her favorite moments from sure. the season. So I think it's a there. great, I think it's a great call. I think he did a great job. I think he nailed it with the question this week. But I, then I looked at some of the uh, some of the the choices people had, right? Mm -hmm. And one of the choice was uh, one of the choices was reuniting with Anakin. I think that's a that's a good one. Another one was duel with Balin Skull. Oh, I love that. I love that. Good choice. Another one was fight on top of the ship. That was a really really exciting moment where Ahsoka's out in space on the ship. And the other, the last option was speaking to the Purgles. <laughs> now, anyone that's been listening to this podcast for a hot minute. We'll know that I've been insisting that the plural of purgle is purgle. And Devin liked to make fun of me and say, ha, 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 it's purgles. And I said, well, I don't know what it is, but I'm sticking with purgle. And then we happened to look it up once, and it appeared that purgle was correct. I sort of stumbled into that somehow, being right, which was nice. And now here comes Devin Kogan. With the poll duties this week, and I, so I guess my question to you, Devin, is are you kind of like poking the rat in the cage by giving, giving the plural option here, or uh, was it just a, a slip of the uh, the keyboard? This was a, Sammy slacked me in the afternoon and said, hey, can you send me the poll uh, options? And I said, oh, dang, yes, please hold, and just type them out really fast, and uh, was not thinking. So I promise you, you're overthinking this, Dalton. Well, I'm, I'm like everything else. Uh, I, I'm shocked. It'll, it'll be exciting to see whether this factors into the results at all. Are people so <laughs> oh irate? God. Over and I, I think that Purgle is also misspelled. I think there's two R's here in our poll. I think it's just one. Oh my, okay. Sometimes so you forget the E in Wookiee. Sometimes you, you, you know, I do Purgles. always misspell Wookiee. Oh. I do always misspell that. Yeah. All right. 
Let's go to the results uh, from our listeners and find out what the best Ahsoka moment was. G- give us from a uh, least to most here. All right. Well, actually, what we're not what we're not talking about is that Devin actually added an S to all of these answers. So it was <laughs> reuniting with Anakin's <laughs> duels with Balin's skulls. There, there's like clones of him, I guess. Of course. The poll results, least to most, is uh, we got five percent of people voting for the duel with Balin's skull. Ah, uh, I should have gotten more. That was, that was yeah. awesome. Then speaking to the purgle. <laughs> Is tied with that at five percent. Uh, see, only got five. Then we have seven percent of the people voting for a fight on top of the ship, and then a whopping eighty-two percent of the folks voted for reuniting with Anakin for a total of ninety-nine percent. Mm, I love it when things there are whopping. Uh, the- big fan of that when things <laughs> whop. <laughs> 99 percent. I'm gonna get angry again. You shouldn't have pointed that out, Sammy. You know it's just gonna get me riled up. Uh, yeah, who at Spotify can can provide us the the numbers on this? Can that be our? Can, maybe we should literally just cancel Amanda Fondi and get someone from Spotify <laughs> on as our interview this week. Can you explain <laughs> your polling methods here? Because it's not triple digits. It's, All right, it's not. Uh, we're going to get to Amanda Fondi in just a little bit. A big Star Wars news, Devin, coming out. Big, 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 big news. In fact, we had to delay our our recording of this podcast because of this news when it came out. This broke on Tuesday? Yeah, Tuesday. StarWars.com in-house broke the news. I'm literally just going to read you the release. It's not very long. Here it is. The Mandalorian and Grogu are, are embarking on a new adventure to movie theaters. Directed by John Favreau and produced by Favreau, Kathleen K- Kennedy, and Dave Filoni, this new chapter in the Mandalorian Grogu's journey will go into production in 2024. It's a movie called... Literally called The Mandalorian and Grogu. And they went the ampersand, Devin. They went with ampersand over Love and ampersand. Just want to point that out. Uh, quote, I have loved telling stories set in the rich world that George Lucas created. The prospect of bringing The Mandalorian and his, in a, and his apprentice Grogu to the big screen is extremely exciting, Favreau shared. In what might be the most bland quote of all time. Uh, Kathleen Kennedy, president of Lucasfilm, added, let's see if this quote's any better. John Favreau and Dave Filoni have ushered into Star Wars two new and beloved characters. And this new story is a perfect fit for the big screen. That's pretty lame, too. Uh, The Mandalorian and Grogu will lead Lucasfilm's ongoing feature development slate, which includes films helmed uh, by, we we know about all the other movies that they're doing there that we we mentioned at uh, Celebration last year. But here's the other key point. Dave Filoni also currently developing Ahsoka Season 2. So we got a double hit of news here, Devin. We have now what seemingly are confirmation that Ahsoka Season 2 is, in fact, in the works. And we know that the Mandalorian ampersand Grogu is going to be a fourth upcoming Star Wars movie. This isn't including the Donald Glover and the Taika Waititi and all that stuff, which is sort of maybe in earlier stages of development or thought process. But... um. Give me your first thoughts, Devin, because I certainly have have some. 
This is fascinating. I um, It's interesting because when the Dave Filoni project was announced, it was sort of announced as this is something sort of set in the Mando-verse, which is, I guess, the best word for this sort of, you know, post-Return of the Jedi, you know, kind of adventures in the galaxy with Mando and Grogu and Ahsoka and Boba Fett and all those things that are happening. So I, we don't know anything about this story, just that it's set sort of continuing among those characters and things like that. So I sort of assumed that Mando and Grogu would show up in the Dave Filoni movie. This is interesting that they're getting their own separate movie directed by Jon Favreau, um, which makes me think that the Dave Filoni movie is going to be more Ahsoka, Thrawn, Ezra, kind of that side of the galaxy. Um, I'm really interested in how a Mandalorian and Grogu film will do. I would argue that these are, I would say, hands down the most popular characters, certainly since um, the sh- the Star Wars shows debuted on Disney+. Plus. They're huge. Everybody knows Grogu. Um, Pedro Pascal has never been bigger. I, I'm, I mean, I think it makes sense. I'm curious what a big screen movie will look like. I'm 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 really, really curious. Will it just feel like a feature length episode of The Mandalorian? Will it have like, you know, be it be a standalone? Will audiences show up knowing that they've like, you know, sort of been watching the adventures of Mandalorian and, Gro- uh, and Grogu on television? Are they going to buy tickets to go to the theater? Um, I have a lot of questions that I'm really curious. I mean, my I'm my Initial reaction is just curiosity, and I'm I'm really excited and, and curious as to where this will go. What about you, Dalton? So I'll take you behind the scenes a little bit. So the way things work here at Entertainment Weekly, right, and uh, some other uh, outlets is that you know we got the news it came in. Nick Romano alerted me to it. He he's our movies editor, and he shout uh, out he, to Nick. He, yeah, he he saw it sort of come across because a lot of times I'm you know you're busy doing things, you're not checking your email every second. So he's like, oh, you know. This is happening. I go, all right, all right, let me uh let me let me get on that. And what I do is I look through the release and so then I I then email Disney with a few questions because I read it so quickly, Devin, that when I first saw it, I thought this was just the full they had essentially titled the Filoni movie. I thought of, that too. Yeah. So I actually emailed Disney and I said, this is what an idiot. And they, they must, this must have come across them like, what is wrong with this guy? I go, <laughs> okay, I'm just confirming that this is the same Filoni movie that was announced at Star Wars Celebration last year. You know, because I just, as soon as I saw a Mandalorian and Grogu movie, I said, and, and Filoni's list in the release as a producer. I'm like, oh, okay, right. Yeah. It's that movie, the Mandoverse movie. We know it's happening. I spoke to Dave Filoni at Celebration last year and I said, this is essentially like, your Avengers, right? And he said, well, you know, I don't want to call it that, but yes, that's what it is. It's all these sort of, you know, Mandoverse characters from these different series are all going to be in this one thing. That means Mandalorian and Grogu, right? They're going to be in this thing. So when I see this, then I sort of dawned on me, wait, 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 I read this wrong. This is another Mandalorian movie with Favreau. Um, I was surprised. So here's, here's my take on it. And we know all my Star Wars takes are always right. I'm never wrong at all. <laughs> Just like my predictions never go haywire. Of course. The Mandalorian and Grogu will be a Mandalorian and Grogu focused movie, right? Like you said, a supersized double installment of the TV show. Well, Filoni's movie will be, I think Mandalorian and Grogu will show up in it. 
but it will not just be purely focused on them. It's like the you know Iron Man Avengers thing again, right? So I think they'll be in both, but one will be their specific story, and the other one will be you know them, Ahsoka, Jude Law, you know. Fennec Shan, you know, all these people all be, be sort Bo-Katan. of showing Yeah, right. Yeah. So anyway, that's sort of my my take on it. Um, as far as your question that you just asked, I don't know if this is a great idea. When it you have the Mandal, like, you bring all those characters together, that I think, even though they've all kind of been together in some of these shows at, at different points, but you put them all in the same thing at the same time. I think that's enough to get Disney Plus viewers who are now conditioned to watch Star Wars content on Disney Plus to the theater. I, I do think that would get them there. Having a show called The Mandalorian on Disney Plus and now having The Mandalorian movie, I'm not saying it's going to you know bomb and do nothing, but I don't. I think there'll be a lot of people that just be like, I'll just watch this on two months on Disney Plus. It's going to be on Disney Plus in two months. I'll, I'll wait. I watch all my Mandalorian stuff there. I don't need to go to the theater to see something that I've watched now for three seasons on TV. I don't need to go to the theaters to see that because people are conditioned in that certain way. What gets you to the theaters? A lot of content, you will just wait to watch at home. I think a Ray movie, people are conditioned to see Ray stories in the theater. Mandalorian, you're conditioned to watch at home. Maybe I'm reading too much into the psychology of this. I did not major in psychology, but it just sort of feels to me like that might not be the huge theatrical draw they think it is, especially, Devin, because they have another movie from Filoni that The Mandalorian will probably be in. This is true. I think you're 100% right. And I think that's a question you raise that I don't have an answer to. And I think a lot of box office analysts have spent the last year trying to figure it out, especially as we've seen this happen with the Marvel Universe. You know, we've seen so many Marvel heroes on Disney+. And Marvel's been pretty soft at the box office recently, um, with with a few exceptions. So I'm I'm curious when you start to sort of blur the lines between what is, you know, for years, you know, early 2000s, 90s, for pretty much the history of Hollywood, there's always been TV and movies, and those two things were separate. Um, you know, you had movie stars and you had TV stars, and very rarely those two would cross over. You know, you'd get things like the X-Files movie or whatever. Um, but as a general rule, those two things were audiences were sort of conditioned to think about, okay, this is one thing, this is television, this is movies. That line has never been so blurred as in the age of content and streaming and, you know, all of these, you know, kind of corporate synergy that that we live in. Um, so, I, and it's really interesting. I, I don't know what the answer is. I don't know. Maybe audiences will show up and, you know, People love Baby Yoda. I mean, there's a reason Baby Yoda is everywhere. So people may buy tickets to this and it may be a huge hit. Um, people may, like you said, just say, eh, I'll wait till it's on Disney Plus and see what happens. Um, I don't know. I mean, selfishly, I always love seeing Star Wars on the big screen. I'm never mad about seeing Star Wars on the big screen. Um, I'm glad that they're, you know, kind of starting to embrace feature filmmaking again after sort of spending the last couple of years working on Disney Plus. Um, I don't know. I don't know if it's going to be overkill to have one John Favreau Mandalorian movie and one Dave Filoni, you know, Mandoverse movie. Um, I, I just don't know. Um, I, I don't know. Yeah, <laughs> I well, wish I had well, more, you know, 
something more concrete. Well, I wish we did too. So give us something more concrete. Tell us. Give us a call. I'm curious. If you listen to this podcast, if you're a Star Wars fan, if you've been watching The Mandalorian on TV, will you go to the theater to see it? 657-799-1566. Tell us if you will or if you won't and why. Would love to get your feedback on this and just see how you feel about it and whether you're going to pay the you know, 20 bucks or whatever it costs to pay where you live uh, to go out and see it uh, on the big screen or not. Uh, let, let's let's touch quickly on the other big news we talked about out of this, which is currently developing Ahsoka Season 2. Um, Devin, I know this is something that you and I were both hoping for, even though we were kind of disappointed by the Ahsoka finale uh, a little bit. Um, you know, I, I, I think you have to do I didn't want the Ahsoka story to get folded into some bigger story, that Mandoverse movie we're talking about. I want to see more. I want Ahsoka and Thrawn to get in the same room for crying out loud. Uh, let's have that happen for one thing. So uh, I, I, great news that they're going to be moving ahead in season two. I always assumed they would be. I talked to some people, sort of insiders that sort of all acted. The way they were acting was that it was definitely happening. Just no one could say anything. And now we now they're saying something. Yeah, this didn't come as a huge surprise to me. I mean, we've been interviewing the cast, you know, over the past couple of weeks and they've all been like, well, we don't know, TBD, you know, but I think, you know, from from what I understand from the numbers that have been released, I think season one was a was a pretty big hit for Disney Plus. Um, I think clearly Dave Filoni has a lot of ideas for where the story could go. I'm excited that we're going to get to see more of characters, like some of the new characters like Shin, who I really love. I'm again, really, really sad after the death of Ray Stevenson. We're not going to get to see any more Balin Skull, or maybe it'll be recast. I don't, again, that's, I think one of the big question marks going into a season two. Um, but no, I'm, I'm, I'm thrilled that we're going to get to, to see more in this world because I think that, that, Season one finale definitely felt like a season one finale and not a series finale. So I'm glad we're getting to see more. Yeah, agree completely. Um, and keep in mind, Ahsoka, uh, we'll have have our uh, interview with uh, Amanis Fondi. And we have more Ahsoka interviews coming up for you. Uh, and if you missed any of the ones we, we've done, first off, we did tons a while ago before the, the show aired. But recently we had Hayden Christensen on. And Rosario Dawson on. So go back in, in the past few weeks and you can listen to those. They're awesome. All right, let's get to uh, our buddy James Hibbard, former co worker, The Hibs. Uh, he now works at The Hollywood Reporter, did a big interview for the show, Three Body Problem, that's coming out. The showrunners that are David Benioff, Dan Weiss, and Alexander Wu. Now, obviously, Benioff and Weiss, former showrunners for Game of Thrones. Uh, they also, at one point, were going to have some, uh, if the South had won the Civil War series called Confederate that, that mm. went away once people <laughs> heard about that. Um, but they also, at one point, were going to jump into Star Wars and have a, have a Star Wars movie, potentially more than one Star Wars movie. Those, that, that went away, like many Star Wars things that have happened. It no longer exists. So in this interview that Hibbard did with them, uh, they got into that. And I'll read just from James's piece here on The Hollywood Reporter. He said, um, talks about the Star Wars movie. He says, fans were excited by the idea of the Thrones guys bringing their grounded fantasy dramatics to a galaxy far, far away. Yet the movie was shelved. Quote, we wanted to do the first Jedi, Benioff says. Basically how the Jedi Order came to be, why it came to be the first lightsaber. Then... Uh, Dan Weiss uh, joined in said, and we were annoyed as hell when Ryan Johnson called his movie The Last Jedi. Uh, he's, he, he, they weren't seriously annoyed. They were kind of laughing as they said it. He completely destroyed the obvious title for what we were working on. Asked when what went wrong, Benioff says, 
Lucasfilm ended up not wanting to do a first Jedi story. We had a very specific story in mind, and ultimately they decided they didn't want to do that. And we totally get that. It's their company and their IP, but we weren't the droids they were looking for. So this is very the most interesting thing about this, hearing that this was the story these guys were going to do about the first Jedi and the very first lightsabers, and that Lucasfilm didn't want to do it. Well, now they are doing it. This is yeah. this is the James Mangold movie that was announced at Celebration last year, a movie that right now is called Dawn of the Jedi. And it's I, I spoke to him at Celebration. He would not say much, but he said what they basically said in the release, that this is the first Jedi uh, ever. So this brings a lot of complicated, uh, perhaps legal issues into play here, Devin, if if this is the story that they brought Lucasfilm and Lucasfilm said, thanks, no thanks, and then does the story with someone else. Yeah, I'm really curious as to, I wonder if, the, I'm, I'm sure this is a very simplified version of, of kind of what went went down behind the scenes. But um, I mean, yeah, and and James points out in his in one of his pieces that, you know. James Hibbard, yeah. James Hibbard, uh, that, uh, you know, Benioff and Weiss aren't the only people who, like, high-profile people who had a Star Wars movie in the works, and Lucasfilm said, eh, we're good. Um, Kevin Feige was developing one at one point. Patty Jenkins, very famously, you know, was going to do the Rogue Squadron movie that fell apart. Damon Lindelof was attached at one point, and that fell apart. Um, so I, it doesn't surprise me that, you know, Lucasfilm has been sort of you know, soliciting pitches and and sort of developing things with a bunch of writers and sort of picking the ones that they want to go with. Um, but yeah, it's it is kind of interesting to be like, yeah, we wanted to make the first Jedi movie, and then they said they didn't want it. Well, now they are making the first Jedi movie, and um, I I mean, I'm sure plot wise, they were probably totally different and not you know similar in any ways. Um, and you know, but it's it's just very interesting. Um, I'm. It, I like Benioff and Weiss. I'm not a huge fan of the way they handled some of the Game of Thrones things. So I'm, you know, I know some people are really bummed that they're not going to get to make their Star Wars movie. I'm like, oh, I'm, I'm okay with that. They might have made a great Star Wars movie. I, I don't know. But I'm not the hugest fan. But, you know. Yeah, I, you know, I think you could look at it either ways. I think that they built a uh, a great franchise and they did a lot totally. of really impressive things in that franchise. Did it fall apart at the end? Yes. Uh, do a lot of shows fall apart by season seven? Yes. Honestly, uh, sounds like a, a lot like the Star Wars sequel trilogy. Yeah, Started in a great yeah, place and kind yeah, of fell apart at the end. Yeah, yeah, exactly, <laughs> exactly. So I think they're talented. Um, Very much so, 100%. But, but not infallible. Um, so anyway, we'll see what James Mangold comes up with. Uh, all right, last thing I want to get to before we get to our interview with Amanis Fondi. Um, just a little bit of news uh, I, I pulled from the BBC.com, Devin. In July, Excalibur Auctions, first off, great name for an auction house. Excellent. Incredible. They sold a Jawa figure with a vinyl cape for twenty over 26,000 pounds. It was estimated to get 10 to 15,000 pounds. The owner, pleased with the, the result, searched his loft and located a second toy, a second Jawa with a vinyl cape, which now is going to be put up to auction. Auctioneer Jonathan Tarad said, this is up there as one of the holy grails of Star Wars figure collecting. The figure owner who worked for Marvel UK between 1974 and 1979 received a range of gifts from UK toy company Palatoy during the promotion of the Star Wars line of Marvel comics. So 
In the U.S., we all know, famously, Kenner designed the Star Wars toys. But Palatoy had the license to distribute them across Europe. So some Star Wars figures that come in Palatoy-branded packaging are actually worth more than their American Kenner counterpart, uh, counterparts. So this Jawa figure, it's believed to be the eighth or ninth one to be found and sold with a Palatoy card attached. The one thing I can tell you that I remember from being a kid, so what happened is most Jawa figures had the cloth cape. And mm. this had a vinyl cape. Uh, so that's what makes it so rare. Like I had the cloth cape and you think cloth would be better, but like I can just tell you like the cloth cape, like it didn't really fit the Jawa right. Like mm. it never stayed on snugly. So you were going to lose it in like a second, which I did. Everyone did. And also it just kind of, you couldn't even see the Jawa at all, which it just sort of, it just didn't fit well. So anyway, uh, would you pay 26,000 pounds for a vinyl caped Jawa, Devin? I don't think I would. I would maybe pay 26,000 pounds for like a life-size Jawa that I could like keep in my living room and had like light up eyes um, and like scare my cats. But I, I, I don't know. I've never, I've never been much of a toy collector. I mean, I have things that I love and, and things that I collect um, and things I've saved from my own childhood. And, you know, Dalton, I know you, you have quite a few things um, that you've collected over the years, but I've never considered myself like a I've never been one of those like collectors keep it in the box, you know. Me neither. No, me neither. No, I, 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 me neither. I, uh, toys are meant to be played with, as I think you've said on this podcast yeah. before. I do have a few. I, I do have the only thing I have is I think like when Phantom Menace was coming out, uh, I've told you this before. Taco Bell was doing some promotion, and you got like yes. a, you know, whatever the Taco Bell version of like a kids' meal was would come with some goofy Phantom Menace toy, right? And so what I did was I got two of each of them and I opened one and played with them because they were like, it was like a dollar, you know, I was like, a do- I was like, all right, well, I was I'll keep say, one just in case. How much Taco Bell did you eat yeah, in 1999? Too, like, too much. It was too much. <laughs> so I think those are the only things like I really sort of like still have like, in the bag or whatever, just because I was like, ah, it's a buck, whatever, maybe it'll be worse. Like, but I, I'm like, these are like Jar Jar Binks toys and like, like they're not worth anything. I was like, I picked the stupidest thing to you know not open and keep like you know preserved in its uh you know original packaging really not you never know the jar jar renaissance might be upon us and you might make a fortune on ebay i could maybe sell it to emlyn she's a big jar jar fan she was on our podcast you can listen to our defending jar jar binks podcast that emlyn did she's a huge fan uh or i could have given it to uh ahmed best when i did that uh big big uh story on him for ew back in the day all right. Um, that's what's going on there. That's our Star Wars news of the week. Big news. A lot of big news this week. And listen, these films, by the way, are going in production like this year. A Soon. lot of these films. So maybe there'll be more news and more casting and we'll be uh, we'll be on top of all of it. Okay. Enough of this nonsense. Amanis Fondi joined Devin to talk all about season one of Ahsoka. And we have that chat coming up for you right after this super quick break. Thank you again, Aman, for taking time out of your day to chat with me about Ahsoka. Is it nice to finally be able to talk about it? Yes, it is a long time coming, and um, it feels really good to to geek out with everybody now because I had to keep it silent for so long, so it feels great. Yeah, I mean, take me back to like the audition process. What do you remember most from that, that kind of period of time? It was... Um, like a very brief period of time. It was uh, 
one day I get the like anonymous sides. It was a couple scenes from from a Top Gun movie that I hadn't seen yet, and uh, the description of the character. And my manager and agent both were like, "Hey, we think this is that character you mentioned that you'd be playing like six months ago." And I like read it all and was like, "Yeah, this is definitely Ezra." So uh, great! I put down a couple. I did the couple scenes and sent it in. And by the next day, they were like, "Hey, they want you." So it was like very, like Dave and Sarah Finn, who was the casting director on it. They just knew. They knew what they were looking for. I'm pretty sure it was a similar process for Tash, where they didn't want it to be like, you know, prolonged and 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 arduous. You know, that can happen sometimes in casting. They were like, we want to find our people. If we're certain, we'll let them know. And and uh, that's how it went. Yeah, it was quick too. It was like felt like a dream. It was like, okay, so 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 it's done. They're like, yeah, they want to meet you soon. We'll let you know. I'm like, oh, okay, so back to regular life, I guess. You know, like I don't really understand the scope of this yet, but but it was very cool. That is so cool. And yeah, I mean, take me back because I know like six months before this even came your way, you were kind of like, I, I have a feeling that this might be kind of something in the future. Like quite yeah, walk long, me through that. Yeah, okay. Long story short, the easiest way to understand it is if you understand Star Wars and you know what force ghosts are, it was like Ezra showed up as a force ghost in my living room and was like, yo. And I was like, yo, what's happening? And he was like, yo, I want to be alive through you if you if I have your permission. And I was like, absolutely. We shook hands and I went crazy in my living room was like, yo, I'm going to be a Jedi. Like, I don't even know anything about his character totally yet. And I sent all these pictures that I found online to my agent and manager of him in the animated series and pictures of me with different hairstyles that I just happened to have. It was like, hey, guys, when this character is casting live action, I'm going to play him, use these photos. It will come in handy. And they were all they were all kind of like, oh, like, why are you saying this? Like, did you get information or like, do you know about a role we don't know about yet? Or And I was just kind of like, no, just a feeling like. You know, just trust me. And and my manager knows some of the like weird spiritual things that have happened in my life. So he was kind of like, okay, okay, I like this. You know, whatever this is, I like it. And uh, and so when it finally panned out, it it made more sense. Oh, I love that. It's sometimes yeah. sometimes it's so serendipitous. It works out. Mm-hmm. Exactly. I'm curious, you know playing kind of this version of Ezra, how much did you kind of want to draw on, you know, kind of the animated show and and Rebels while also kind of finding your own way into this character? Yeah, I initially thought like, oh, maybe I should watch everything because uh, there is so much great stuff to watch. But something intuitively was telling me not to. And that's like a weird thing because like your due diligence as an actor, you feel like, no, you should do the research that is like respectable and respectful of the work done by Taylor Gray, the original voice of Ezra, and all the other castmates in the Rebels show that brought that to its fullness. You know, it wouldn't we wouldn't have Ahsoka without Rebels and Clone Wars. And so I was kind of conflicted at first, like, I feel like I should, but then a deeper feeling is like, you don't, you shouldn't. Like, you're, you're, you have a good connection to Ezra. You can feel Ezra there when you want to call on him. And Dave sent me a list of select episodes that I watched. And um, I also did a ton of research on Ezra. Like I didn't watch Rebels because that's more of the performance of Ezra. 
as opposed to I looked up everything about Ezra on Wikipedia and I watched tons of YouTube summaries about Ezra and his role in the galaxy and his role amongst his crew and, and just the kind of character that Ezra was. And um, so I, you know, learned everything about his family and his, his childhood and how he was raised, spoken Jedi. And, and so I, I read about him and I researched him like you would research a regular person who has passed away. Like if it was a biopic or something, um, you're not, you can't really always watch interviews of people you're doing a biopic for. Um, so you sort of have to just allow whatever mannerisms you think exist and match his personality come to life. So that's more of how I treated it. And, and I watched Clone Wars and I watched a bunch of other Star Wars stuff in the meanwhile, um, just to understand the tone of Star Wars. I actually ended up watching like the ILM light and magic doc and like watching all the BTS stuff more. Cause I was more curious about like the filmmaking side of it and figuring out like, you know what stories they're telling and why and how and then it was like oh i understand star wars like i understand what this is the the magical thing that it is and so that kind of settled me and then again like dave filoni rick and Gitan, jennifer everyone who directed me were so clear and adamant that i had i was doing what needed to be done for ezra and so i felt really confident about that i didn't watch all rebels till after what was that like to to sit down and actually like get to watch the whole thing? That was strange. That was, I mean, strange. It was like, uh, I got emotional. I got very emotional. And I, I remember thinking like, is that you, Ezra, getting emotional? Like watching this or is that me? Um, but yeah, it was strange because it felt like watching a younger version of me, just different circumstances, but similar life lessons, similar growth, similar... Um, trouble right similar like get yourself in trouble with like a big mouth or a snarky comment here and there but then similar uh you know similar heart i was like whoa this is so funny because i feel so resonant to this kid that i'm watching um and obviously now the older version and i are in cahoots together so yeah it was strange but it was it was really touching actually that makes sense and mm -hmm. I wanted to specifically ask about like fight training and stunt training and lightsaber training. I mean, tell me a little bit. How did you want to approach that that process? That was the thing I was like gung ho the most about. I really, really wanted to to learn um, stunts, and I've always wanted to learn stunts. Always wanted to do action stuff. I never, you know, you don't just like. Also, if you're an actor with no martial arts background, you're like, I'm pretty sure I could do that. They're like, okay, dude. Like, why don't you just stick to your lines? You know, it's sort of like a thing, you know? I'm like, gosh, no, I'm athletic, I swear. And um, so I was very excited to start training. So I was kind of like antsy, like, yo, when do I get to start rehearsals, whatever? But they were, you know, choreographing a lot of fights. There's so many fights in the show, so many intricate fights. And Mean Q and her whole crew and everyone involved, they were constantly all day, every day, rehearsing, coming up with fights, testing fights, rehearsing, camera rehearsal. Like, they were so locked into a schedule. I sort of mosey in, like, you know, three months left to shoot, and I'm like, train me. And they're like, oh, welcome. Uh, you know, you're going to schedule you in. And I'm like, oh, come on, let me come every day, you know? Like, let me just be here all the time. And so they gave me a few sessions, like a couple sessions 
in the first couple of weeks and then two sessions a week going forward. Um, and, but because they were so swamped, there was a little bit of like a, Hey, we're going to teach you as much as we can. I'm going to send you home with videos of the choreography and really essential parts of it. And you need to do this on your own also. Like you, you can't just rehearse when we rehearse, but I'm used to that. You know, I come from a background of tennis. I taught for nine years. When you teach tennis lesson, you teach them something with the intention that they're going to go practice that a thousand times before they come back to you so you can move on. And so it was very natural for me to train for it. And um, luckily, they uh, created a style for my character that for the most part I could handle. You know, it could have very easily been like, this is your style. And I'm like, I can't do any of that, you know? And I, I would admit that. I'd just be like, oh, shoot, I try. But but luckily it matched up. Some of my sensibilities as a, as a tennis player and, and, you know, things I enjoy in, in the fighting world worked out. And so I was able to learn most of my, most of my moves. There was only like a couple of things that were like, all right, we're going to push this away. Cause you kind of, it's kind of hard for you to do. I was like, yeah, all right, I'll get there. I'll get there. Um, but for the most part, I got to learn most of my stuff and I definitely performed all of my fight scenes myself. So that was really exciting. And that was, that was like the highlight for me, even though there's so many things that I'm in love with about being a part of the project, but it was like a childhood dream to be like, you know, an action star. I watched Power Rangers and Dragon Ball Z and Naruto so much that I wished I could just get in there and fight. And um, I finally got to do that a little bit. You know, I got a little taste of it. I'm looking forward to to learning more and getting better at all that stuff. So, yeah. Yeah. Was there like a particular stunt or like a particular skill that you picked up that you were like really proud of that you were like, I, I'm, I can't believe I nailed that? I... I think the, um, like the length of our choreography without a lightsaber and like how many different moves, it's more wushu uh, martial arts. That's more so the style of my character. The amount of moves I could do in succession, like, like a dance, it was like a dance choreography. That was the most impressive. Like when I saw, I have a BTS stunt video I put out on Instagram and I remember I would like randomly be like, hey, do you want to see a BTS stunt video to like friends or something before the show came out? They'd be like, yeah. And I'd show them and they'd be like, which one are you? I'd be like, I'm the one in the middle. And they'd be like, bro. And I'd be like, yeah, I guess you're right. That's pretty crazy, huh? Like that's a lot of, that's a lot of moves, you know? But like with the adrenaline and the excitement, you just don't realize. And it just, I was just like, I guess surprised myself at how many of the different moves they taught me I could put in a succession, right. In the, in the choreo that they planned. And it was hard. I'll tell you, like, they were very strict. They were like little things about where my hand placement, they were like, no, it's here. I'm like, Oh, okay. Like, how's that? And they're like, no, your shoulders dude, relax. I'm like, okay. <laughs> and it felt like goofy for most of the time. And then all of a sudden it like came together. And it wasn't goofy anymore. It wasn't disjointed anymore. So I think the succinctness of it was the most impressive part. Um, but I think the most fun was was the fight scene with my lightsaber, which is the first thing I shot, actually. The first fight scene I shot was the one I do with a lightsaber. It's the first time you see Ezra use a lightsaber in the show against the uh, night troopers. And um, it was the first time anyone was going to see me do my own stunts. And I start and I right away I slipped and I fell <laughs> I fell right away first 
hard step I took because it was gravel and dirt on the ground. And I didn't know there would be gravel and dirt on the ground. That was new. So I slipped and it definitely was a moment of everybody being like, whoa, like, can he, can he do this? You know, like, are you okay to keep going? Are you okay? I was like, yeah, yeah, there's just, there's dirt on the ground. doesn't matter who ran that. That would have made them slip. Can we sweep the dirt? And once they swept the dirt, it was a lot faster. And, and I got through that whole thing. But um, yeah, there's something real special about, you know, slashing bunch of troopers with a lightsaber and then actually like practical effects blowing up and going off and falling. And it's pretty, um, surreal. It feels like you're in a video game. Yeah. That was one of the things I wanted to ask about. I love some of the scenes where Ezra is like hanging out with the Nodi, which are just like, was, was that like puppets and practical effects or was that like a tennis ball and a stick? How, how did you kind of approach some of those scenes? Yeah, they actually are real puppets. They, they build out most of the puppets, similar to like Grogu, um, who, I, who I snagged from Lucasfilm office. But similar to Grogu, they're real puppets and they have amazing puppeteers behind them who are like walking with them and moving them. I mean, they make them come to life. They literally are real on the set for us and they're even doing voices for us. So it's kind of like acting with an actor in a way, right? It's just a different mode of acting that these puppeteers are doing and uh but it made it very easy and, and adorable like it was like oh these things are alive right here in front of me like they're so cute so you could kind of feel how you would treat one of them based on them being right there in front of you so uh that that was fun yeah oh i love that and i wanted to ask about um the eyes how were the were you wearing contact lenses how how was that i was wearing the contact lenses and it was great um, they keep my eyes, they come and they drop drops in my eyes every hour. Like their Christina and her sister are amazing. They were like, never let me go with uncomfortable eyes. It would switch out contacts if they needed to on a dime. The only thing was that it takes away your peripheral vision. So if you put your hands like this and you look around, that's like how I can see with those blue contacts, right? I just took away anything peripheral. So I didn't think much about it until the fight scene. And during the fight scene, when we were just getting there and looking at the set and stuff, I was like, oh, wow, I can see like 40% of what I could see when we practice this scene. You know, like I can't really see to the right or the left of me. I can only see in front of me and I'm doing a lot of spinning and twirling and like my arm goes around someone and then I like spin and hit someone else. Like there was a lot of like peripheral vision use and I just didn't have my peripheral vision, but Fortunately, all the guys on who were stunts dressed up as night troopers, they were like, so we all just like created this wonderful concert where it was like every step was perfectly timed and they'd move in and move out at the right moments. And it was kind of, it, it honestly kind of feels like you're doing it with your eyes closed anyway. Like it's so fast. Like you don't know where your hand, you just know your hand has to go here and it just finds it, you know, it finds itself. Um, that was the only time though with the eyes, but, but yeah, most of the time on set with the context, I'm just kind of like very tunnel vision, literally. It makes sense. You can only, yeah. your peripheral vision is, is definitely limited. When you think back to the filming process, was there a day on set or a particular scene where you geeked out the hardest? Can I do two? Go for it. I have one was my first day on set because my first day on set, I shot my last scene, the one with Mary Elizabeth Winstead and, 
And um, Ezra arrives and says, hi, Hera, I'm home. And that was my first thing I ever shot in Star Wars. And it was pretty big, you know, like I'm walking down this um, ship um, and there's like a whole crew of people behind Hera who are like at her word. And it's just like a very, it's so, so much like an orchestra. Like you're watching such an incredible production come to life and everyone's dressed Star Wars and Hera's all green and the cameras and the lights and everything is like, like it's all happening like so fascinatingly. That was my first like, whoa, this is a huge production. Like I'm really only done independent stuff, <laughs> like only ever done independent films. And and I was just like baffled at the the grandiosity of it. And the second one was I was there um, right up until they shot the scene, the last scene with Ahsoka and Sabine, when Sabine can sense Anakin's force ghost. And then uh, Ahsoka eventually sees the force ghost. And so Hayden was there and I got, I got to get to know Hayden really well. And we had a great conversation and I had finished, but I was like, just hanging out a little bit and then he's there and then him and I land in a combo and we're talking, talking. I didn't totally grow up on star Wars. So it wasn't like I grew up on Hayden. Um, but it was cool to meet him knowing his like role in the entire galaxy. He's the chosen one, everything. It's all Anakin. And, um, so we were talking and then, and then I like go to the monitors and I watch them shoot the scene and like watching them shoot the scene. That's when it dawned on me. Like, Oh Yeah that's Anakin like like whoa like I guess I just to me it was Hayden because that's how I met him and then I saw him on that hill and, and the whole scene is so mystical and so like you know it's like such a moment I was like wow and it was also like 2 or 3 a.m. or something I was like a little delirious so I was like whoa like this is dreamy you know like this is this is very Star Wars right now I felt like a fly on the wall I felt like a fly on the wall most of the time, to be honest. And and then they'd be like, get in the shot. And I'd be like, okay, <laughs> down. Um, so yeah, those two moments. That's pretty cool. It definitely makes you feel like, like, oh, I'm really in a galaxy far, far away. Yeah, yeah, exactly. Well, thank you again for taking time out of your day to chat with me. I, I really appreciate it. Of course. Thank you so much, Devin. I hope you have a good rest of your day. Our thanks to Amanis Fondi for hanging out with us this week. And thank you for hanging out as well. And a huge, huge thank you to everyone who's taken the 30 seconds to subscribe, rate, and review the podcast. That is super awesome of you. Don't forget to leave us a voicemail message about anything you want. Just call us and say what you got to say at 657-799-1566. And you can be part of the show unless Sammy screens your call. You can also connect with us on social media by following Entertainment Weekly on all socials. It's at EW on Twitter and at Entertainment Weekly everywhere else. You can also tag and follow us directly using at Dalton Ross and at Devin Kogan. Thanks so much, everyone. We'll do it all over again next week. This episode of Dagobah Dispatch Podcast is hosted and produced by Dalton Ross and Devin Kogan. Produced and edited by Sammy Junio. Full episode transcripts are available at EW.com. Thanks for listening and may the force be with you.